Welcome back to The Stripe, the first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Gorenlian, and I'm excited to bring you knowledge, insight, and predictions about the PLL face-offs on a weekly basis. Today's episode features Chrome LC face-off athletes Connor Farrell and Hunter Forbes. Connor exploded onto the scene as a rookie last summer in the PLL and turned heads immediately. And with his combination of speed and strength, he was an immediate fan favorite. Connor finished the season at 53.9% at the stripe with 77 ground balls. Now, Hunter Forbes is a different story entirely. Somehow, some way, he managed to quietly smash every SOCON face-off and ground ball record during his time playing at Jacksonville University. A stunning talent that finally finds himself in the spotlight of the PLL. Connor exploded onto the scene as a rookie last summer in the PLL and turned heads immediately with his combination of size and hand speed, as well as his fun-loving nature. An immediate fan favorite, Connor finished the season at 53.9% at the stripe with 77 ground balls. Connor, I love your game. I love your approach to the sport and the position, and I love getting a chance to smash heads with you last summer. <laughs> Thanks for meeting me at the stripe today, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, last year you were a rookie. You came in to the PLL. What I want to do is give you some stats, and we're going to we're gonna have our talk throughout that using these next-level stats. And has, have we've mentioned in the past, uh, Jake has done an amazing job on the PLL back end. We are looking at taking the whole statistics part of face-offs and really revolutionizing it. And, and the reason we're doing that is, as you know, usually face-off guys, you look at their ground balls and how what their face-off percentage yep. was, and you decide exactly. if they were good or bad. Mm-hmm. What we've done is we've broken it down into a million different parts, extracted it, and we get a really good sense of the uniqueness of each athlete. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through your stats here. Uh, the first thing that we're going to pull – is your season stats. And Mm -hmm. the story that I want people to learn first, and I want you to get into a little bit for us, you didn't start the season as the only face-off guy on the roster. You you shared time with Drew Simino. Can you give us a little bit of an insight? Because at training camp, I believe you, Drew Simino, and Brendan Fowler were all on the same team uh, with Chrome. Can you give us a little, just quick history lesson? What did you think coming in uh, to that PLL training camp? And how when you left it, what, what were your ideas of the PLL rules and how your game would be affected by it? Yeah, so once I got drafted, I knew the Chrome had two face-off guys already. So I knew right off the bat I had to do something to really impress the coaches or the other guys on the team to get a spot on the roster on the game day. But during training camp, I was just really working my butt off trying to get there. But the new rule changes from college, I absolutely loved it because it's all about that right-hand punch because the ball's a little bit further away. And you know me, I, I love that right-hand punch. I'm more of a right-hand punch guy instead of a rotator. But I absolutely love the new rules. I think they're great. Now, when you were experimenting with them, I know it was a little hazy for us down there at IMG. We were all trying to get a feel for it. The officials were trying to get a feel for it. Once we got the rules solidified and you were – so people understand at home, when you look at high school or college face-offs, the ball is squarely in the center of the heads – in the PLL, the ball is higher up towards the scoop of your plastic, so towards the softer part of the plastic. Also, in the PLL, 10 yards is taken out of the middle of the field. So you're, there's a shorter distance, a much shorter distance from midline to the goal, and then the wings are also a yard closer to you on either side. So once you lined up that way in your first game, okay, first actual game out there in Massachusetts, how did you feel with the dimensions of the field? How did you feel like your game was going to – you know, expand or maybe retract based on where you were lined up as far as the wings and the size of the field. So I definitely felt the difference. The wings, that one yard makes a huge difference uh, because I had bruises all over my leg from Scott Ratliff coming in and <laughs> slashing me like crazy and, uh, and uh, Gillette. So I definitely felt the difference there. It was, took a little bit to get used to, but I ended up liking it a little bit because the 10 yards is just big boys. Me and you are pretty big, so the 10 yards less helps us out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. my, 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 my old butt certainly appreciated the smaller field last year, I'll tell you that much. Now, one of the uh, things that you did early in the season that everyone was talking about was you chased down a, a ground ball and you absolutely blew somebody up in the crease, and you weren't even looking like you were trying to hit them hard. They just kind of exploded. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, okay, the milkman is here. <laughs> Yo, that was so, the uh, middle uh, linebacker in me. 
Yeah, so just we don't want to we're not going to go too deep into the history of you playing lacrosse because you've done plenty of podcasts on that. But if you can just give us like a quick lesson, like how long have you been playing lacrosse and, you know, when did you learn to face off and, you know, up to now? So I started playing lacrosse when I was in third grade. My old football coach, Tom Barron's handed me a stick and said, here you go. You get to hit people with this. Let's do it. So I was like, all right, let's do it. But <laughs> played throughout my whole life. Got to uh, college. I went there for football. Lost a bet to my buddy that he made me that he had to last longer than 10 seconds to me in a wrestling match. Or I had to go play lacrosse. And he lasted 11, so I was at practice the next day. But uh, after that, he's still trying to get my PLL, half my PLL pay- paychecks, by the way. But, <laughs> but yeah, so... I, I always I was always was standing up. I was a stand up neutral group, neutral group guy, my whole uh, career, and then I went down on my knee. I think my junior year of college, and then that's where I really uh, figured out where my hand speed was coming from. I started figuring out I had a good hand speed on my knee, but I was standing neutral group my whole life up until my junior year of college, and then they told me right when I, if I really put my mind to it, I could really be good at this and I could possibly play uh, professional. So I said, all right, let's do it. I mean, the football and wrestler in me, I just wanted to work really hard and be the best at what I could do. So that's exactly what I did. My man, that's awesome. And, and, and you know what's funny is I didn't know that. I didn't know that you <laughs> played lacrosse that long, and I didn't know you used to do SNG. Just so people at home understand, standing neutral grip means that you hold the stick traditionally. Like People used to call it traditional grip. You hold the stick just like you would anytime you were playing lacrosse, and you bend over, and you have two feet on the ground, as opposed to right knee down moto grip, which is what a lot of guys do now where you hold the stick, double over, pronated grip, and you go down on your right knee. And uh, Connor can do both, which is super valuable, not only because as an athlete you can change it up, but also because you coach face-off guys, and mm-hmm. I'm sure they're very knowledgeable right now. Uh, oh, as yeah. the NCA is kind of looking at possibly getting rid of Moto, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's look into your stats here. So on the season, you were 54%. You were 59% on your clamp percentage, and so people understand the clamp – is basically the initial motion on the whistle that a guy does in order to try to gain control of the ball and direct it somewhere. So almost 60% of the time, you got to the ball and were able to control it right off the whistle. Now, I will admit that when I saw your film in college, because I was definitely peeking to try to find out what I could <laughs> learn about the new big guy coming in, um, you know, I was I was curious as to whether your, your motions were going to correlate to the PL rules based on how, ball, how high the ball was. And I got to be honest, I think we scrimmaged you down at IMG uh, before mm-hmm. I left. And I was super impressed with how fast your hand speed was and your ability to actually drive all the way into the ball. When you look at the speed, and this is we're going to really dive into this, and some of these stats are going to be oh, eye-opening yeah. on your actual <laughs> ability to run people down. But mm-hmm. what, like, so right now, what? Do you, how much do you weigh right now? Right now, I'm 230. Uh, okay. 235, I mean. What were you I was like? 265 last season. 265? 265. So my man's cut 30 pounds, okay? Now, <laughs> you guys have to understand that how, – how tall are you, Connor? About 6'2". Okay, so we got a monster on our hands, okay? <laughs> now, I'll, be, I'll admit there's not many people that shock me when I see them in person. I'm used to being you know, okay in the size department when I line a dude up. Connor literally shocked me, uh, <laughs> like, like physical flinch. <laughs> I haven't physically flinched when I've been in, in front of somebody since Anthony Kelly like years ago. Um, so your hand speed was great because I couldn't believe it. I, I knew obviously you're you're you were a D two record setter, right? You yeah. set the all time college all divisions mm-hmm. based off percentage record, and what was it at? I think it was like eighty three somewhere around there, eighty three percent. That is stupid. Just so you guys know at home, okay. <laughs> A All-American is low 60s. A record setter is like high 60s, possibly 70. We're talking about a guy who won more than 8 out of 10 face-offs. And I don't care if you're going against like a stuffed animal. It's hard to <laughs> win over 80% of your face-offs over the course of an entire season. So that's just crazy. So the hand speed's there. The size is there. And then the other part of it was lacrosse IQ. And we're going to get into that in a second. Now, against starters, you won 56% of your clamps. So that means all starters in the PLL. When we look at your championship series matchups that you're going to be going against in 2020, mm-hmm. we're going to look at – so you have the archers. We don't know what order they go in yet, 
But against yeah. the Archers last year, you were at 56%. The Redwoods last year, you were at 50%. The Water Dogs, you haven't faced off against either of uh, those guys because you were on the same team mm-hmm. as Drew Simino, yeah. and he's on the Water Dogs now. And then uh, you got Jake Withers coming in who didn't play in the PL last year. And then the Chaos, which was 49%. Now, the one that pops out to me, obviously, I got to face off against you when we went head-to-head, and that was an awesome day. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. I was really – glad that I got to do that with you. But I want to talk about the chaos because you had some awesome battles against TK and he actually helped you get prepared for this, right? At one point, because he worked. Yeah, he was my, he was my coach for the past two years at uh, my junior and senior season at LAU. Yeah. He was my coach. Yeah. And, and it was awesome watching you guys go head to head. When you look at your matchups, okay. And you look at your best games and we're going to get into those a little bit. What did the difference between having Drew Simino in there, uh, splitting time with him at the beginning, both pros and cons, whatever, how did that difference change throughout the season when you became the only guy? Well, I've never really split time or came off the bench before in my career except for the first couple of games. So that was a little adjustment I had to make. And right when I got the full-time spot, I knew, like, all right, this is my team. I'm going to – him to a couple wins that we didn't have that many wins last season but it's my team i'm going to do my best to get us there to a win of course and you know we talked about it trevor and i uh mm-hmm. in the first episode about how how hard it is to split time especially when you split time in the professional leagues where rhythm is everything and i know oh, yeah. playing on the redwoods last year we were all about streaks so if i was hot we were scoring and if i was losing mm-hmm. a couple in a row we were we were not scoring, and and I felt that pressure. For you, it was obvious that once you didn't have to look over your shoulder, once you knew you were taking the reps, you were mm-hmm. a completely different animal. Yeah. And I remember when we played against each other in Baltimore, you came in like four to five face-offs into the game. Yep. And I tell people all the time, that is so hard to get up for a game and then have to wait four or five face-offs against a guy who is already in rhythm, understands the cadence, is you know already has the sweat, the adrenaline's like kind mm-hmm. of gone, so you have to worry about that. And you came in right away, and you just you took it to me, and I was super impressed with that. When you have the mindset of being the only guy, and you guys are going to go down now into the uh, championship series, and you're going to have everyone's going to essentially have one or two guys on each roster, right? Mm-hmm. So now yep. the Chrome are adding Hunter. Okay, Hunter Forbes is going to be coming on. What advice are you going to give Hunter now? as he shows up into this season and you're going to be going with him as now a guy who is going to be a veteran. So I didn't really know when I was going to get my name called in the game. I was just always prepared. I always knew I was just doing my chops on the side, getting ready to go. So I'm just going to tell him to do the same exact thing. Just be ready. You never know when your name's going to be called. Just be ready to get out there. And when your name's called, you got to be up and ready to show. Yeah. And then also from the PLL rules standpoint, what was the most what was the, the one thing that you really felt was the biggest adjustment for you? I felt the biggest one was probably the one yard closer of the wings. Mm-hmm. Definitely felt that the first couple of games. It <laughs> took a little bit to get used to. Literally <laughs> felt it. Yeah. One yard. It's only three feet, but it makes a huge difference. Massive difference. You know, yeah. from your mouth to God's ears, I hope the NCAA is listening. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, we all agree. It took us like three or four weeks to try to get that timing down. So when we look at your championship series matchups, Archers, Redwoods, Water Dogs, Chaos. Who are you most excited? Like out of those, you know, give me give me a couple things on each of those teams, maybe uh, that you're that sticks out to you. I mean, the Redwoods, two guys I never went against, uh, Schooljin and uh, the uh, what's it called the Maris kid. Yeah, Peyton Smith. Peyton Smith. Yeah, you, he's one of your guys. So really excited to go against them. See what I got against them. Uh, the Water Dogs, Simino. We went after each other in training camp, so I know a little bit of. The, a little bit about him. I faced off with him, so I'm excited to see how we do against each other in the game. And uh, the chaos, I'm really excited about because, you know, I'm, I always get pumped up for those games. TK was my coach for two years, so yeah. how could I not get up for that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then here's here's a question from the Archer standpoint. Last year, uh, you did awesome against them early. The, the final game, Bones Kelly, we were talking about before, he really did a great job of adding that rake yeah. move, that surprise oh, yeah. rake. What have you been doing to try to prep for that? Because that really throws guys for a loop sometimes. I've definitely been working on stopping that rake because that was my last game of the season, and he really, he kind of got got made up, got my number a little bit. So I've definitely been working on that. The little uh, close the gate, you know, you know, what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
The I mean, so everyone understands the rake move off of a knee is essentially on the whistle. You don't try to clamp over the ball with your stick. You just pull hard to the left and you try to get a piece of the ball and your opponent, as he's trying to clamp on it, basically gets pulled to his right and the ball slips out. Bones Kelly, in my opinion, is probably the most athletic faceoff guy in the PLL. Oh, yeah. And if that 100%. ball's loose, he's going to get it. So mm-hmm. that's a you know, that's definitely a matchup that we're going to be watching. When you look at your best and worst games last year, when we look at guys that, you know, you had their number, week two, which when you were still splitting time, actually, mm-hmm. against the Whip Snakes, you went 13 for 17 and you won 92% of your claims. What what makes that matchup so good for you? Uh, I feel like he's a big – Joe's a big rotator. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to use my big body in a way to stop his rotation. And then when, once I stop him, I'm able to explode into my rotation fast. And that's how I'm able to push him off the ball on those clamps. That's what yeah. I felt like it was a good uh, position for me. Yeah, watching the film. So people understand on the whistle, historically, guys try to get around the ball clockwise – so they'll swing their left hand around, and they'll also try to drive into the ball with their right hand. Now, with the PLL, with the ball being higher up on the head, if you rotate too hard, you're totally opening the gate to get beat forward. Now, yep. Connor doesn't do the historic drive the right hand in, pro hop, and pull out. He was, I mean, you were driving your right hand in hard, and then as he would rotate, you would step to your right, and then mm-hmm. you basically – almost click and drag, which is we refer to click and drag as like the bottom sidewall comes under the ball and you would pull that ball out just over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it was really impressive to figure that out real quickly. Now, was that a feeling thing or was that something you studied in film? So I I watched this film a little bit and I saw how he would throw that left hand really high and far. So I knew I had to come up with something to stop that because Mm -hmm. he he always drove people off the ball. He's a great faceoff guy. He's very scrappy too. Yeah, and Joe, so people understand how impressive it is to go 76% against Joe. Joe is also, you know, if it's not Bones, it's Joe, in my opinion, the most athletic faceoff mm-hmm. guys. And Joe was around a 30% clamper for the season. However, he was over 50% on faceoffs because he would chase you down like crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I knew that from experience. You know, when you are thinking not just get into the ball, but also after you exit, you have to go chase it with somebody just – beating the heck out of you and diving on it. And what Joe does can't be taught. He just plays so chaotically to still win 76% in your second ever game is really impressive. Now your worst game is still really good. So your worst game week three, which is the next week you went against Trevor Baptiste, who was the all an all pro last year. Mm -hmm. And you were 40% in that game, which is still phenomenal. And you know, week 12 versus the archers, which what you, you referred to before you were 41%. So those were like mm. the, the lowest games possible, yeah. but that's still in the 40 percentile. That's really impressive. When you were going against Trevor Baptiste for the first time, what was in your head? I mean, I didn't really pay attention to lacrosse before this year. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't know who most of these guys were. Obviously I knew who Trevor, you and all that, but I didn't really care who you were. I was just going out there. I didn't care where, who you were, who you're from. I just wanted to go out there and compete. Yeah, and, and that's what, what I'm asking because as a competitive guy, when you go out there against a Trevor or somebody that you've either looked up to or heard of, I think knowing less about lacrosse <laughs> helps, right? Yeah, You don't yeah. go out there going, Duh, I don't want to get crushed yeah, by this dude. guy. You're going out there going, <laughs> yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> well, a bunch of guys in my old college team that's like, dude, you're going against Trevor. I'm like, I don't really know. who. I, was, I didn't pay attention to lacrosse, so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I guess he's really good. I love that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, against Trevor, like, so that's what I'm trying I tell guys all the time. When you're going to be a successful pro. It takes a lot about knowing what the other guy's doing. Now, after this first season, would you say that you're going to study more film or are you going to focus more on just what you experienced from last year? Uh, I'll be a little bit more of both, honestly. Uh, definitely keep up with the film. I, I'm always a film guy being – an ex-football player in college, you watch endless hours of film. So I think that definitely transferred over. And obviously, no one would, but I guarantee people are going to change up what they did last year. Like, guarantee Joe is going to switch up what he did against me. Same thing as Trevor. We, we always had good battles. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I heard TK lost some weight, so 
he's going to have a good exit. So it's going to be good to see. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get two, uh, like two point slim down versions of Connor and TK. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now here's what's really interesting to me, and this is why I I talked about the weight you lost and how impressive I, you were to me physically because people would look at you and go, Oh, like, you know, big guy who's just going to muscle people off the ball. Right. However, mm-hmm. your best percentages were against some of the most athletic guys in the league. Brendan Fowler, you were eight, you were 80% against eight for 10. Joe Nardella, you were 64%. So you you want almost two thirds of your faceoffs against him. Those are two of the most athletic guys in the league. When you were going against them, because they're athletic. Like, for instance, I know going against Joe or Brennan or T- or um, Bones Kelly, I really had a different exit strategy for those guys compared to somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Were you focusing on that? And and what were you thinking was the smartest move exit-wise against those guys? So when I know a guy's scrappy like those two, I, uh, I usually pull my defensive exit that I pull out. I like putting them on my back because I'm a little bigger dude than them. I like putting them on my back and trying to block them with my body and keep the ball in between. I'm mean, going to keep the, my body in between the ball and them. So that's what really helped me a lot against those two guys. Yeah, and so people at home know um, there's four exits for a face-off guy. Your offensive exit to your left shoulder, your backdoor exit to your right shoulder. We call it TTL or through the legs. You can pop it through your legs, turn and run onto it. Or you can go into what we call a defensive turn, which is a counterclockwise turn. And by rule, you're allowed to take one step once the official believes that you have acquired the clamp. And Connor had a devastating defensive turn because Connor's shoulders are really broad. He's a bigger guy. And if you stay flat-footed as he would turn counterclockwise, there's no way you're going to get around. I remember the first time we played, I'm like, I feel like I have to run around a track to get to this ball. (laughs) His shoulders were like 80 inches wide. I was like, forget this. I have to come up with a different uh, counter next time we play. So – yeah, I would say when I watch your film, 99% of the time, you're either going offensive exit or you're going to that defensive 270, 270-degree yeah. turn. Mm-hmm. And you, you use it really well. And that's the truth. Like, that's the way you beat an athletic guy. Now, worst matchup was against TK. In uh, in two games, you went 44% against him, which is still flirting with the 50% mark. Mm-hmm. Here's what's impressive. And this is why the athleticism is so crazy. In those two games – you had a combined clamp percentage of 24%. So 24% of the time, you actually acquired the clamp and controlled the direction of it. But you still won 20% more than that. You won 44% of the faceoffs. Mm-hmm. When you were going against TK, because you guys know each other really well, what were you? What was your game plan on both winning the clamp exit-wise and what was your game plan when you didn't win the clamp? So when I didn't win the clamp, I knew he had that killer right-hand punch, so... I know how to get up fast, stop his fast break, and let let him stop for a second, let him think in his head what he had to do. And right when he's thinking, I threw that counter fast, it lifted his stick or pushed him back a little bit, give him a little hesitation. And when I won the clamp, I just tried to get out faster than him. Now, what was interesting, and I watched your guys' games very closely, you guys are both very good, you and TK, at using your wings. Very good at popping it out to them, find, like just popping it out to space and letting, mm-hmm. letting them run onto it. So... I know for myself, when I was playing against both of you, my point of emphasis was do not leave your wings because if you do, they're going to find it. So what was your wing strategy? Because you love to use your wings, but you know he loves to use his. So I I had really good wing guys this past year. So I literally told Joel White is one of the best wing guys I've ever played with. He's unbelievable. And I had Will Haas and Max Tuttle and all them. But uh, I literally just told them. Lock him and do not leave this side. I'll handle. I'll handle him. You handle your guys, and we'll get the ball together. Love that. That's a good leader right there. Now that actually is a perfect segue because we're going to go into the wing play here. Now look at these stats. When we talk about next level, this is what we're talking about, folks. So you have Joel White, world beater, was a wing guy. Sixteen ground balls off of the wing. So off of the initial face off when the ball pops out, the first person to pick it up is awarded that ground ball, and that's Joel White. So 16 times he picked up ground balls for you. He's now excused from the championship series, so he won't be there. Max Tuttle and uh, Mike O'Neill both had five each, both five ground balls. Tuttle is now with the Whip Snakes, and O'Neill is not on the team anymore. Uh, Joe 
uh, or I'm sorry, John uh, Modersky had four ground balls. He's also not on the roster anymore. So now you have Will Halls, gold medalist, two-way midfielder, absolute savage. And don't and when you see Will Halls and you meet him, you shake his hand. You're like, oh, okay, this is a very nice. <laughs> yep. And then you get to the field and something evil happens. <laughs> yep. Different <laughs> um, animal, man. He had three goals off of the faceoff. And just so people understand in our episode zero, if you haven't listened, go back and listen when we talk about the faceoff rules in the PLL. I think one of the biggest differences between college and PLL faceoff rules is that we had an insane amount of transition goals by wings because they're closer and because the field's shorter. Will Hoss exposed that. So you have Will Hoss coming back. Your rapport with him is going to be crucial. Now, when you have other wings, when you were talking, when you were game playing with the Joel White or those guys, are you going to try to mimic the same thing that you did with your new wings that are coming in? Have you spoken to any of them? And do you have any plans, game plan-wise, to get ahead of the game and talk to them? So we have another meeting. We're meeting together uh, Sunday on Zoom, so that we're going to really talk about stuff there. But, you know, Joel, Joel's a different breed. He he's does things that you can't expect anyone to do. So I'm going to have to see how these new wing guys are going to act in uh, training camp when we get out to Utah. And then we can work from there. Yeah. Joel White is is a savage. For yeah. Sure. He, um, so – when we so you guys are already meeting ahead of time, which is pretty cool. Now here's um, some interesting stats: the Chrome had 16 goals created off of faceoffs. You were tied for second most in the PLL last year. When you guys were going out into a game, and especially when you guys were kind of on a skid, you started off. What did you guys start off? 0 and five. Yeah, 0 and five. Okay. So when you guys started off 0 and five, did you feel any more pressure where you were like, we have to try to create transition and score off of? off of the face-off uh, or was that something that just took on a life of its own because you had speedster, uh, speedsters on your wing so i really cannot stand losing so i just wanted to do anything we could do we could do to win i hate losing more than i like winning so i was i was just basically just thinking I, I need to do something to get to my ball the offense fast because we have pretty good transition as long as we get the ball to them they'll score right away yeah and you yourself scored some goals too yeah too one lefty yeah lefty <laughs> I think the lefty was like from 14 yards too. Be honest, dude, that lefty shot, I was aiming bottom right, it went top left. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Like I always tell my kids, you always pretend like you meant it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yo, so people at home know, like, Connor, what do you play, middle linebacker? Yeah, middle linebacker. At post? Yep. Okay. So Connor's a middle linebacker, and he had speed when he got in the open field. Like, you would think like you're like okay, I can just run hard and I'll catch him. No, 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 no. You have to run like <laughs> as hard as you can to try to get a check in. Uh, it, it was awesome to watch. So when we go to uh, now, here's the other part of this because I think this statistic is important. However, I think it has it has to be explained with some nuance. So last year the Chrome allowed 20 goals off of the faceoff, which was tied for most of the PLL. However. I know from experience, at least in our two games when I played you, we had four goals off of the faceoff, and none of them were against you in particular. So mm-hmm. I, I need people to understand that caveat. However, that is something that needs to be addressed for your team. Is that something that you are going to talk to your wings about? Is there any kind of defensive strategy? And then also, is there a particular team that you're going to go against that you think might expose you guys and try to score off of transition from you? Yeah, it's definitely something we're going to talk about when we get to training camp. We definitely need to stop that fast break because those transition goals are huge. But uh, well, every team is dangerous, especially the archers. That that attack they have, you get them the ball in transition, they're going to be really scary. So I, everyone in this league is absolutely insane, especially coming from a D2 school. Literally, I was shocked when I came to training camp. I couldn't believe how fast these guys were shooting. Their passes were like shots. I was, I was shocked. But uh, – yeah, every team you have to be prepared for. So we're definitely going to be talking about that. Yeah, and I think some some guys that kind of uh, you know stick out in my brain is like a Bones Kelly who's lefty, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's easy to forget about that. So And the reason it's important to understand, folks, uh, face-offs are always have to be lined up right-handed. So it's easy to forget that when you're facing off against a left-handed player that if he does get possession of the ball and he starts running down the left-handed side of the field – you might lay off him a little bit. And I say that because I did lay off of him and he stuck on about 12 yards <laughs> right over my shoulder when I played against the archers and I made that mistake. So, you know, that's one guy. And I've actually seen bones 
towards the end of the season, like he was feeling himself. He would go to take it from X and dodge. Yeah, from X. Yeah. And, um, you know, people forget that Bones was a U19 gold medalist uh, and, and he played midfield at uh, Calvert Hall. The other person that sticks out to me is Joe Nardella because he'll stay on the field for 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the, the weight loss. Is that part of it? Do you want to be able to endure because you know you're only face-off guy? You want to be able to stay on the field longer if you need to? Or was that just something that you wanted to do for another reason? Well, I'm not going against 400-pound linemen anymore, so I definitely knew I was able to lose some weight. But, yeah, I, I felt like at the end of the season my cardio started losing it a little bit. So there's definitely something. I want to lose the weight and build my cardio up so I can possibly stay on if I wanted to. Like I've been working on my six skills a lot too, but you know, Gunny's a very good attackman. I'd rather just give him the ball and run right off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you have gutted it, you're you're pretty set. However, I will say this because you mentioned the stick skills. Something else that popped out a lot was your ability to feel the field and make quick gooses. And, and people at home, that's a, a goose is basically when you just redirect the ball, whether it's off the ground or just scoop it real hard and toss it in a direction without actually possessing it. And I watched you make one-handed passes. I saw you goose the ball like through your legs, behind your back sometimes, mm-hmm. and find your wings. And we were actually discussing a little bit during the uh, during the production call. We were all sitting there going, I wonder if he just does that or if he was like, I got Joel Light on my wing. I'm just going to toss <laughs> it somewhere. <laughs> like, no. Is that something that you just do? It's, I definitely tell my wing guys, I said, just be ready because if I had the ball – and someone's army, I, I'll find you somehow, and I'll get you the ball. Just always be ready because I'll throw bounce passes. There was one against the uh, second week that really sticks out of my mind that Mike Manley, uh, our close defenseman, comes running up the field. I literally just throw it over my head, lands right in front of him. So you know, it's definitely it's something I tell all my guys. That's another thing that I pointed out was, you know, I remember Manley and Galloway and, and Joel, they all played on the same team in the pros before, and Manley used to kill people by streaking off of a face-off possession out of the box or arc oh, yeah. and go across the field, and he'd be naked because no one would follow him. That's really cool that you guys actually mm-hmm. saw that and noticed it. But it, it's one thing when you have a guy who you're like, okay, you know, stick skill-wise, we would rather double-team him if he pops the ball out. It's not like people could bum-rush you because you would find, as soon as someone peeled off to try mm-hmm. to double you, we you yeah. would find them. And that is like, that's a skill that can't be taught. You have to mm-hmm. feel that, you know, and you also have to create rapport with your wings to know, A, that your coach is cool <laughs> with you doing that, and B, that they're going to be yeah. in the right spot. So, you know, that's that takes a lot of moving parts to work mm-hmm. for you to be able to pull that off in a game. Um, and then here's one last stat. The 23 violations um, for your guys, for your team last year, that was the most in the PLL. What – were there certain instances in games where you found yourself kind of going early because you were trying to get the rhythm down or because you were having a little bit of trouble of getting to the ball or was it just like, whatever, sometimes you fall start. Yeah. I don't know. I, I jumped way more than I expected or wanted to last year. I don't know what it was, but I definitely have been training myself more to just listen to whistles and more reaction than I think I might've guessed a little bit too much last year. And this year is definitely, I'm not definitely not guessing at all. I've been, working on a lot of reaction drills. So hopefully that'll be a, a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, so when we look at, so people understand at home, like when you do a, a face-off, one of the differences in the PLL compared to the other levels, and I think it's the it's one of the mm-hmm. best rule differences, is if you lo- if you fall start and go early, okay? In, in face-offs, the ref will say down, he'll put the ball down, he'll say set, and then that means you can't move until you hear the whistle. If you go before that, it's called a violation or a false start. In the PLL, the only difference is you don't have to run off the field or anything. It's just that you can't take the next face off. So somebody else, anybody else on your team can take the next one, and then you're good after that. There's no limit to the violations, but the cool thing about the PLL is if you false start, it's a loss, but then you're probably going to lose the yeah. next one too because you don't have a second face off guy who's going to go mm-hmm. out there and just get smoked. So you basically lose two face offs. So it's a huge incentive not to go early. Last year, you had 23 violations. Second most was 15. So, you know, you know, some people say whistle readiness, I don't know, you know, whatever. But, like, the idea of waiting for that whistle and, instead of timing it up, I guess, is huge, especially in this situation. When you guys are playing in a championship format, when you heard that you guys were going to do the championship format, did you get all jacked up about the idea of that? 
Um, what was going through your mind? Because I know the PLL really was groundbreaking and just saying, you know, we've got this figured out. Pro League can mm-hmm. follow our lead. Like, what was going through your mind when they announced the I was just beyond excited that we were able to play. I just was itching at it, especially because we'd be playing right now. So I was really just itching at the fact that we're going to be able to play somewhere. Yeah. And now this style tournament mode, okay, uh, is you guys are going to play basically every other week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, every other day. Excuse me. You guys are going to play every other day. And then once you have group play, they're going to look at your rankings and then you're going to get seated into the actual championship tournament. When you looked at this planning every other day, which can be grueling, what was like, what's going to be your biggest focus as far as preparing for each game? Because in the past, in any other you know season, I would play against the Chrome. I would have a game and then I'd watch film. I'd rest for a couple days. Then I would start training again, get ready. And then you're back out there the next week. But now it's mm-hmm. quick turnaround. So what are you focusing on the most going into this tournament style? The huge thing you need to do is recovery. Mm-hmm. So you're definitely going to be hopping in the ice bath right after those games. Make sure you're getting those massages, everything stretched out. But uh, I was definitely glad that I lost those 30 pounds for this thing <laughs> because four games in one week is a lot, and I, I'm beyond excited for it. Yeah, yeah. And so people understand if, if you know anybody or if you've ever watched the World Games – that was that's going to be the feel. The World Games basically we would play either every day or at least three or four days out of five or six, and that's all you talk about is keeping your weight up, keeping your hydration up, and you know guys on average in the World Games lose about ten to twelve pounds, and that's going to be something to, to look out for. I'm actually relieved for you guys that you pick Salt Lake City. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though at elevation you burn some more calories, I was real worried someone's going to say somebody something on the East Coast, man. Yeah, IMG would have been, <laughs> yeah. dude. In August, would have been hot. That would have been been so tough. So, Connor Farrell coming in, going to be your second season. You're going to be doing it in a championship format. You're the guy. You're going to have – you're going to be the vet coming back. you got a very new team. When you had Sudo coming in as uh, Coach – Sudo coming in as the new coach for you guys, did you speak to him right away? Did he talk to you? What was your reaction uh, the first time you talked to him or saw that he was going to be your new coach? So Reed actually didn't speak right away. I just heard good things about him because he brought he played with he coached a bunch of the guys that were on the team in the other league, and they uh, he brought them to a championship. But all I heard was great things. We didn't talk that much at first, but now we're talking a lot, which I'm really excited about. He seems like a great guy and a great coach. Yeah, Tim Sudan is one of the most universally respected people in lacrosse, and he will 100. Uh, percent That'll be a pretty cool uh, locker room to be around. And I know the guys, a lot of the guys on the roster have played for him and they respect him. So that'll be a really cool situation for everybody. And, you know, I think from watching you grow from your training camp all the way through last season, you're a fan favorite. People who don't know, Connor will stay for three hours after games to sign autographs for kids. You know, you you do it the right way, man. I got to tell you, as somebody who's been around this for a long time, there's a lot of guys who let things kind of get to their heads. You never lost focus and you enjoy it. And I think that's really cool. I think that's something that people are going to respond to. But I also think it's something that's going to help you gain some memories as you go. And I hope that guys, as they come in the league, see the way you did it. Because I think it's going to be important for guys moving forward. When you look at your your trajectory in this, because you haven't been facing off that long. And as somebody Mm -hmm. who also started facing off late, I have a, a good understanding of what it's like to ascend throughout your pro career. Where do you see yourself going? Like, where? What are some things that you want to accomplish yourself? Not just this season, but also now that you're a professional lacrosse player, something that I don't know if you ever thought was going to happen or not. What do you want to accomplish in this whole thing? Well, you asked me two years ago if I'd be playing professional lacrosse. It'd be, I'd say you're out of your mind. But <laughs> if I'm lucky enough to play as long as you did, I'd be the happiest guy around. Uh, like I really never, I never really liked this sport growing up, but I'm absolutely in love with it, and I'm having the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, man, that's great to hear. And I think uh, what the PLL is creating is going to help people stay around a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, I, I hope you're able to play for a long time with a lot less scars than I have. Um, <laughs> but hey, I, I want to thank you a ton for coming onto the show, and you know, I wish you the best of luck in the championship series. And if you have anything else you want to say before we hop off, go for it. Chrome back 2020. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for meeting me at the Stripe, man. No problem at all.
Hunter, excited to have you on today. Thank you for joining me on The Stripe. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm really pumped to do this. Yeah, so people at home, just so you understand, (laughs) Hunter uh, was a defensive player of the year in the Southern Conference of 2018. Super impressive. Um, Somehow, you were managed to float under the radar a little bit. Uh, and I'm just so folks at, at home understand this, I'm going to read off a few of, of your accolades here, Hunter. And just so people get an understanding when they go, who is Hunter Forbes? Nearly every single ground ball and face-off record is yours in the SOCON. So that's the Southern Conference in Division One. Single game face-offs won, single season face-offs, career ground balls, single game face-off percentage at 92% in one game, single season face-off percentage of 70%. Uh, for his career, he was above 60%. And for his career, he had 589 face-off wins. Those are just to name a few. Hunter, you're originally from Woodstock, Georgia. You are a SOCON record-destroying machine. Why do you personally believe that you flew under the radar and, in my opinion, you were underrated? Uh, I think that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, coming from Woodstock, I'll start there. I I didn't play a lot of like, you know, showcases or anything. I just kind of played because I loved the game. My best friends played it, uh, grew up playing with them, and I just really loved it. I I had the opportunity to get noticed by JU um, at an Under Armour tryout, actually, one of the Under Armour t- Southern team tryouts. Uh, I ended up getting picked up for the uncommitted games at the time. I was pretty late uh, recruit. I think I was the last one in my class to commit to JU. Um, but when I went there, I loved it, and I just kept on trying hard. My freshman year, tore my ACL, so I didn't really get off on that strong start I was hoping for in my college career. Um, but luckily, we had great uh, staff at JU. I got rehabbed and was able to play the last couple games of the year. As far as um, you know, my senior year, where I was pretty happy with how I played, um, you know, I, I don't know. We, we, we might not be an ACC school, but I think JU altogether is severely underrated in the and the players they produce and the coaching staff that we have. I mean, I think we are top notch for any person that wants to go division one. And I think with people to just kind of take a deeper look at what JU has to offer, they'll realize, I mean, I, I'm not the only one. If you want to call me underrated, I think we had a, a generational talent in my class and in the classes following me um, that I hope get the recognition they deserve. Yeah. And you know what, uh, just so people understand at home, the connection here, John Galloway goalie for the Chrome, is the head coach at Jacksonville University, and he's doing a phenomenal job of building that program. And I feel like, you know, he must have put in a good words with Coach uh, T.C. Mann <laughs> to get you on there. And I- I'm glad that Coach listened to you. Uh, and and listen, I'm, I'm sorry, listened to uh, to Galloway because it's, in my opinion, it's still a shame that you didn't get your, your chance yet. And I'm glad that it's coming in the PLL. I still, to this day, remember John Galloway taking to Twitter when you weren't named – uh, all-american and rightfully so i think you know your your stats are incredible and you're right you didn't play for an acc or big 10 so maybe you were snubbed in that right but you sure have your chance now at at the highest part of this uh game so when we look at your strengths you have a little bit of an unorthodox stance in face-offs we've talked about this before there, the two standard stances for face-offs are right knee down, motorcycle grip, double over. And the other is standing neutral grip, where you hold the stick normally, traditional grip, as if you were holding a stick to play catch and throw, and you're standing, SNG. You combine the two, and you like to go right knee down, and you like to hold the stick in a neutral grip. Now, why did that become your stance, your favorite stance? And how do you think you're going to catch people off guard in the PLL by doing this since no one else does it in the entire league. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how it came to be. I was um, up until I think November or December of my senior year, I was that knee down moto grip, you know, the traditional cookie cutter type face off guy. And I was happy with how I was performing, but I didn't think I was as quick as I could be. Um, I thought some of my strengths were speed off the whistle uh, kind of recognizing cadence and so forth. So I didn't think I was getting the speed I quite wanted to. So I, I was just messing around one day, uh, facing off with Hudson Beard at the time. who was the freshman when I was a senior. And we were just going back and forth, had a lot of live refs together. He was a great kid. Um, and he let me experiment a bunch uh, when we were, we were practicing together. But I just switched to it, and I kind of clamped it a different way than a traditional neutral grip even would, like if you were standing. And I 
And I kind of thought, wow, this, this kind of feels good. So I practiced it a little bit um, over winter break when I was back home with a bunch of uh, old practice partners. And I just kind of feel, I felt lighter on my hands. Um, you know, elbow flare, you know, as well as anyone isn't a thing when you're neutral grip. So I think that benefited me a little bit because I would struggle with that occasionally, but I didn't really have to worry about that anymore. And then I'm sure uh, I speak for a lot of guys. I think confidence is huge with facing off. I mean, I think the guy who goes up to the dot and thinks they're going to win is going to be the one most likely to win it. And I kind of just developed that confidence with my neutral grip. And so I kind of stuck to it and I ended up having uh, a pretty good season with it. And so I haven't really looked back as far as the advantages go and like what it could possibly uh, bring me to with the PLL is, I mean, it's just a total switch up to what they're used to. Right. It's, um, you know, Connor's Connor's a great face guy. He's big, he's strong, he's quick. And he uses that moto grip and he's able to power people off the ball with that. You know, I'm a smaller guy. Um, I, I like to think I'm quick, but now with bringing in this neutral grip, it's a whole, it's a whole different style that they're going to scout. I mean, it's not just a two, it's, it's, I think it's a truly two headed monster. And the fact that two different styles, I might be able to rake it out earlier than they're hoping for. I don't, I'm not going to play that rotation game. And with counters, I think I can get up and kind of get to that counter pretty quick. Now it's just a matter of staying up. I don't have to switch hands or anything. So I think if I can get the other person thinking about what I'm doing as the whistle's going off, I have a slight edge uh, when it does go off. Yeah, that's a great point, Hunter. So people understand at home, when we faced off last year in the PLL, most teams had one guy that was their starter, and that's kind of the guy you leaned on the most. And then, you know, only two teams really dressed a second guy that regularly played. And the reason being is there's a lot of different parts of this. One, you could only dress 19 guys last year in the PLL. So on game day, you really had to be very selective about how many guys were being dressing on your roster. So using two guys for only one part of the game really didn't seem like that that important unless you were kind of struggling at the face-off strike. However, you're going to be able to dress more guys here for the PLL championship series because they're playing a tournament style bracket. So because it's understood, there's going to be more games, guys might get run down, maybe even injured. The idea of having two face-off guys makes more sense. And, and the league was very smart to allow that. However, it's going to be a change up when you play the Chrome and unlike some other teams, like for instance, if you play the Redwoods this year, you're going to have Greg Pasquuljan and Peyton Smith, both knee down moto grip guys. If you face off against the Chrome, you're going to have a, guy who holds the stick completely different in Hunter, who, which is neutral grip. So you understand neutral grip is a bottom sidewall dominant uh, uh, holding the stick. When you do that, you drive into the ball from underneath it. So you can pull the ball up and out away from guys. When you hold the stick motorcycle grip, it's just like, you know, like we said, motorcycle, you're holding it double over. You can only rotate over top of the ball. You can't come up from underneath it. So that is really going to be not only do I have to game plan for Connor and his size and his speed, but now I also have to completely flip it. And we have to make sure not only me as a face-off guy, but that my wings are paying attention. Now, let's look a little bit at the objective pros and cons of this. Like you said, you, you hit the nail on the head. You have the ability to throw a complete screwball at people. Secondly, you are a very fast and athletic person. So your ability to come up and out, if you get the ball great, you go, you stand up and chase it. If not, you can stand up immediately and counter. Like you said, you're not going to be stuck mm -hmm. in a rotational game. So there are two lightning and thunder two completely different styles that i have to focus on if i'm a opposing face-off guy however in the pll there are 10 yards out of the middle of the field and the wings are a yard closer so as a standing a, a knee down neutral grip guy who's going to have to kind of pull the ball up and out out of that pinch and then chase it what are your plans as far as not getting pigeonholed in that tight space because when we look at your strengths i mean this is insane. We do next level stats at the PLL, and we don't have any statistics from you from playing in the PLL last year. But when we look at you, the percentage of faceoffs that you win and the percentage of those that are ground balls to yourself, it's off the charts. So how do you plan on planning for the smaller space? And also, how do you plan on bringing your wings? Do you plan on popping the ball to them more than you used to? Or do you plan on sliding them to places so they're not in your way for you to scoop the ball yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of it is going to be planning with the wings more. So, you know, talking to them, see what their comfort level it is. And I have to give credit to the, the Chrome coaching staff. They've been proactive. We've already had one meeting, uh, Connor and myself 
with the coaching staff and we're we're set to have another one with the whole defense and wings as well to kind of get on the same page, which is awesome. You know, as a face-off guy, some coaches don't really want to worry about that spot. Do they just say, you know, go in the ball, but uh, the Chrome coaching staff is being very proactive, getting us all on the same page, but with the closer wings um, and my kind of style, if I were to win the clamp right away, kind of get that, that minimum percentage of the ball that I feel comfortable pulling it out. Um, I like to pull it forward right away. Like I did in college, you know, it's kind of using that bottom sidewall and top sidewall, a lot of pressure on your hands to pop it out, try to get it to my left hip. If I can, you know, that's obviously ideal scenario, get it to my left hip, catch it. And then I can reevaluate if I'm finding that I have to kind of rip it out more where I don't have control, which might be the case in the PLL, you know, going against a lot of talented, uh, talented players. Uh, I think I'm going to have to utilize my wings a lot, maybe not so much in the pole, but you know, goosing the ball, hawking it to someone, scooping it, um, just out real quick outlet passing, kind of trusting that they're going to be where they need, where they need to be. Um, and then, you know, if I were to win a ball enough where I could do a defensive exit, I think that's a really, really strong option. The PLO as well. I think Connor does that really well after watching some film with him and he had a lot of success with it. So I think that's something I've been practicing a lot, trying to, you know, if I, if I only pull it forward, that's easily scoutable. So it's more working on pulling at different locations and keeping it fresh, uh, whether I get the ball myself or hockey it or scoop it and find an outlet. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And just so people understand, when, when Hunter talks about the defensive turn, we touched on it when we spoke with Connor as well. It's a counterclockwise motion. So once you pinch the ball or you clamp it, you're allowed one step and you, you can use it to direct the ball however you'd like. Players like to go counterclockwise and turn so that when they do pop it out, their back is facing their opponent. And if you're wondering why does Hunter speak so clearly and well about face-offs, he's actually the face-off coach currently at Jacksonville University as well, uh, coming right in. So, you know, John Galloway not only loved having you play for him, but he likes the, the face-off mind that you have. And, and you and I have known each other for long enough where, where I love it as well. You really understand this game and you're planning ahead of time. So it's going to be great. How is it – let me look at it this way. How do you think it's going to turn out having Connor there with you? Like, as he's only a one-year vet, but everybody who's ever played PLL has only played one season. <laughs> so yeah. he has one year of experience to convey to you with the new PLL rules. Now, if anybody hasn't seen the PLL rules or understands the difference, go back to episode zero of the podcast. Take a look at that. We explain it in detail. Just for people who are just tuning in for the first time now or people who have tuned in in the last episode, the ball's slightly higher up on the head of your stick when you line up. So the ball is towards the scoop, not towards the throat. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question. One, having Connor there, what does that do for you as a face-off guy coming in as a rookie? And secondly, what do you feel like with these PLL rules, do they, do they help your style or do they hinder it at all? Okay, yeah. So for part one with Connor, I think, you know, I think one – it takes a lot of pressure off a rookie, you know, first year coming in. Um, Connor kind of had the same thing last year with Drew Simino, and they both did a great job, and Connor, you know, ended up winning that spot just because he's a phenomenal face-off guy. And uh, me coming in and knowing we have two face-off guys throughout the whole tournament that we can rely on each other, learn from each other, and also kind of break down opponents' tendencies together, I think it's going to be really helpful. Um, I've always been a competitive person, you know, teammates like as opponents just because every day in practice you're going against your teammates and i hope to bring that uh to our practices make each other better um but i really think it puts me in a good spot just uh kind of with the dynamic of teamwork and having two guys that you can rely on kind of takes the edge off and then uh you know it's always it's always fun to get your teammates better i hope i'll do the same for him as he does for me and then with regards to part two and the in the change of the rules kind of getting used to that uh i personally think it benefits me as a neutral grip guy, which, uh, people, you know, might disagree with my question, but one, because of elbow flare, I don't, like we talked about, I don't have to worry about that. It's almost easier for me since my elbows and in, inside kind of already naturally inside, it's kind of like a bench press direction, you know, except I'm holding, if I was holding the bench press and neutral grip, but it's kind of like a bench press motion. And then my left hand's also, uh, responsible for helping me come down the line so it's kind of as long as i get my hips in line like i should be um i think it i think it won't be too hard to adjust to uh luckily i have to get him a give him a shout out coach grinelli who you know at, at jackson university as well who was my face-off coach when i was a player there uh he he worked with me for the past month while i was in jack's practicing every day you know trying to 
trying to uh, prove myself worthy for the spot. And he really helped prepare me for this as well. Yeah, Coach Grinelli uh, is phenomenal. He, he understands this position inside out, uh, a great face-off man in his own right. And when people go back, just to touch on something you've talked about, um, when you mentioned elbow flare, and people at home are like, I don't know what that means. Elbow flare is what a, a term we coined at the FOA a few years ago, where when a guy was motorcycle grip on a knee, if you slowed his, his motion up on film, his elbow moves before his hands do, which would create a, a delay on how fast you can clamp on the ball and the whistle. And it is an issue for 90% of face-off guys that are knee down because they can't help but move that elbow first just because of the, the style and stance that a lot of guys use sometimes. Their, their technique isn't correct. Hunter doesn't have that issue because when you hold the stick neutral grip, it's more like a stabbing motion, right? If you were just stabbing the ball with a knife, you, it would be very almost impossible for you to move your elbow first. It would be really weird. So right off the bat, that's one thing that Hunter never has to worry about on the whistle that every other face-off guy who's on a knee motorcycle grip has to worry about. And that's what he's talking about with elbow flare. So it does make your hands as fast as they can possibly be on the whistle, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, those are great points. And it's funny because I know from experience, I don't want to speak for him, but I know Coach Sudan must be like a kid in a candy store right now because he's got – a guy in Connor, and then he's got an explosive rookie coming in in you. And at least from my experience, when I have played against Suits, like in the pro ranks, he's never had that at the faceoff position. So this is going to be a really cool experience for him, and it's awesome that he's embracing it so much. And I'm sure, you know, obviously Galloway is excited as well. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the the format. As a face-off guy, knowing that you're coming into a professional game, but it's more of a tournament, right? It's every other every other day. Is yeah. Like, two things. One, what are you doing physically? Let's let's just start with that. What are you physically doing to prepare yourself for that style of tournament play, especially because you haven't played in a while? Yeah. Um, luckily, right now, don't have a lot on my plate. Uh, it's terrible what's happening everywhere because of this COVID situation. Um, try to look at the glass half full where I – have nothing to do except prepare. So I've been, you know, kind of breaking out. I've been um, talking to my old uh, strength coach from college who's still there, uh, talking to him like I'm an athlete again, but, you know, getting on the, the sprint programs, the conditioning programs, uh, the strength programs. I mean, uh, it's funny, two years ago when I graduated, I swore I would never do a leg lift again. But here I, here I am doing probably five in the last week just because, you know, the legs are going to be the most important part. Your legs will probably give out first running around every other day at the intensity that you need to for a game. So I'm just kind of getting back into that. Luckily, uh, me and a buddy ran a half marathon for the first time in my life, like a month and a half ago at the beginning of summer. So um, I'm not coming in from ground zero conditioning wise, but so it's just, I'm really focusing on strength, uh, getting out to the field every day and, you know, perfecting face-off technique because ultimately that's, a lot of what, what it will come down to. And then just, you know, kind of trying to stay active, making sure I don't waste a single day. Cause what there's, I think there's less than a month left till, till our first game or, and, um, you don't really have time to waste the day. So I'm just taking it one day at a time. I actually kind of, I journal what I do on a daily basis to keep myself accountable. And so when I, when I'm flying to Utah, I can look back and say, okay, I prepared for this. I'm ready, uh, ready to attack it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Spoken like a true coach and a player. I love it. <laughs> so when you are, when you're, now you're prepared, you, you know what you have to do physically. You've watched your film. You're excited about your opportunity with Connor. When you head out there for your first professional game. Now this is unique because you know for a fact that you're, you're going to play because you're not being brought down there unless you're dressing. So you're going out to Utah. You know, you're going to play throughout the entire championship series. You're going to be in a Chrome uniform. You're going to be on the Olympic, original Olympic time frame on NBC Sports, on TV, international. Everyone's going to be watching you, not only in America, but internationally, you're going to have eyeballs on you. Have you thought about what it's going to be like, you know, standing out there for the first time, national <laughs> anthem, like standing out? Like, have you thought, has this run through your head at all? Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy, man. Um, when I found out, I, just last week that I was getting picked up, all these thoughts are running through my head and it almost just doesn't seem real. It's been a dream of mine since I graduated college to play in the professional ranks. And, and, and like you said, um, just cause of the format of how this tournament's going to work, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a guy on the team and it's going to be just 
a really cool experience. I try not to think about, you know, people watching too much. Uh, I just like to kind of do what I do. Um, I don't want like something else to affect my mindset going into the game. I rather just trust the process, uh, know that me and my teammates prepared for it and then execute. And then I worry about all that stuff after the fact. So I, I try to block the, uh, the negative pressure bits out of my head and just kind of use the excitement and the love for the game to kind of just drive me and keep pushing me. I love it. As a Sixers fan, I know all about trusting the process. So <laughs> I, I, I respect that. Now, when you, when you are, uh, when you're out there playing, the, have you given thought to the shorter field and what that might mean for your game? Like, have you been working on the offensive output of this? Because one thing we have touched on in the past is with these PLO rules, with a shorter field, and with the athleticism of the wings, the scoring opportunities and transition for the wing players has been off the charts the first year of the PLL. Has that been something you've been working on, is running the break at a shorter distance or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of my uh, speed and agility training that I'm kind of running through focuses on that kind of 40, 50-yard sprint that I'm going to be – would be most often in, whether hopefully not losing and chasing after someone, but uh, hopefully more often running down the field uh, – head on, but I'm, I'm also kind of relying on, you know, the great coach I received in college from coach Grinnell and coach Galloway. And then coach in the past two years, kind of just remember that now as a player, you know, you know, instead of just do it, as I say, now I'm going to do as I said, um, and just kind of try to remember those fundamentals, uh, you know, picking, uh, hitting the trailer, uh, just kind of hugging picks, getting off the field. Um, just kind of all that kind of translating from saying it as a coach to acting out as a player. I love it. Now, one, I want to do one final thing here before we, before we call it a day. When we look at the PLL's face-off guys currently, you know, we're doing mm-hmm. this with a lot of guys, we're asking, objectively looking at what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are compared to the other guys you've seen on film. Which teams do you think you match up best against? Hmm, that's a really good question. So I faced off a couple times against a few of the guys. I've uh, Stephen Kelly, probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Uh, I just I actually met him for the first time this past week, and we took some draws together. Really talented guy, really nice guy. Um, I don't I wouldn't say my style compliments uh, against his, but him being really athletic, I'm hoping I would be able to use my speed to get in and then just secure the ball and hopefully use my teammates to get it out. It's interesting if I thought about someone like Tommy Kelly, who is arguably has, from what I've heard, the fastest hands in the league, the statistics kind of support that fact. Um, I've heard just great things about how he clamps the ball. I'm almost interested to see that because um, the nature of how I clamp, sometimes he could beat me to 55 or 60% of it, but if I get what I needed and he rotates, I might be able to pull it out on him too. Um, But, you know, it's hard for me to say because, and uh, I I even talked to you about Trevor after I heard the podcast last week. Like Trevor, obviously being the same age as him, watching his career develop, and wishing I was at his level for most of my career. Um, I, I'm really excited. I hope I get the opportunity to go against him. We're not against them in uh, group play, but I hope I get a chance to go against him just because I want to see like someone of his talent level. I want to see how I match up against him as well. Uh, Nardella is a nightmare. He's so scrappy. He's so athletic. Um, I think with his rotation, if I can pull it out early, that benefits me. But if I get locked up into a tie-up, it does not benefit me. So it's kind of a mix. Um, and I hope I'll get a better feel of as, as the season goes on, be able to use those adjustments accordingly. Yeah. And, and it's obvious that you've been studying the film. I mean, everything you've just explained makes perfect sense. And, you know, I personally, yes, you, you do belong on the same stage as a Trevor Baptiste. You know, these are the best face-off guys in the world that are in the PLL, and it's not even close. And the fact that Coach Tim Sudan trusted enough to bring you on speaks to that. And I totally agree with it. I, I was jumping up and down. I think I texted you the second I, I heard that you got picked up. Yeah, yeah I was pretty excited for you because you bring a different style, and I think that's great. And, and there's definitely a place for neutral grip to be successful in the PLL. I did it plenty last year. And I've seen other guys that are trying to do that, and I think it's it's awesome. And, yeah, I think a Bones Kelly is somebody that uh, is a great way for people to have an understanding of your style of play. Super athletic, fast guy who can get to the ball right away. And you're right. You look at a, a, a Tommy Kelly, who we'll be bringing on soon uh, on the stripe as well, 
who has insanely fast hands. His clamp percentage is almost, I think, around 20% higher than his faceoff percentage. And then you look at a Joe Nardella, whose clamp percentage is about 20% lower than his faceoff percentage. And that's what's so incredibly cool about the PLL is that it's not about yourself. It's about game planning for the different styles and strengths of each guy. And the fact that you've been watching film shows how serious you take this. And I think it's going to lead to success for you. So I wish you the best. Uh, I just want to thank you a lot for coming onto the strike and talking with us so that people get an insight onto who you are and how talented you are. And I, I wish you the best out there in Salt Lake City, man. Greg, thank you. I can't, I can't thank you enough. This is a great opportunity. I, I look forward to hearing the rest of your episodes. It's something I, I look forward to every week. Awesome. Thanks a lot, brother. Take care. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of The Stripe. Thank you for tuning in, and special thanks again to Connor and Hunter for joining me here today. We'll be back next episode with chaos face-off man Tommy Kelly. Don't miss it. Be sure to subscribe to The Stripe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please rate and review with questions and subjects that you'd like us to discuss. All feedback is appreciated. Once again, I'm your host, Greg Urenlian. You can follow me at GregBeast32 on Twitter and Instagram. Can't wait to meet you next week at The Stripe.